So we, we launched a new series last week called Frequency, and we're tuning in to hear God. And we're talking about what it looks like to hear God's voice. And, um, and I think this series can have a profound impact in our lives, both individually and as a church. And our premise really is that God is a speaking God. God is a speaking God. Genesis 1-3, the very first three verses in the scripture you know what it says? It says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. You go all the way to the end of the Bible, Genesis twenty-two twenty. you will find there in one of the last verses of the, of the scriptures, Jesus saying, surely I will come soon. I am coming soon. And so I think all through the Bible, we can see that he is speaking to people over and over again. Now, I know there are those who would believe, some people believe that God doesn't speak anymore because he wrote it all down. He wrote it all down in the scripture so he doesn't need to speak. I, I fundamentally reject this idea or this way of looking at God. I believe with careful scholarship and study, as you look through the scriptures, you will find that God's plan has always been to speak to people. His plan has always been to speak life into people. I, and I'll, I'll tell you this, I trust the scriptures as the standard, right, for God's voice. God's voice, however, is not limited by the scriptures. The scriptures are the standard and our hearing, what we say that we hear, I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that people tend to hear. We have to measure it. We have to line it up with the scriptures. It, we, we measure God's voice in our lives by the scriptures because he will not say anything contrary to the scriptures. The Bible does not limit what he says, but we have to synchronize what we hear him say with the scriptures because I believe that he spoke before the scriptures were written down. You do realize this. Abraham heard from God individually and worked through that whole process before any scriptures were written down. And... But I think he continues to speak after they were written. Look at what Jesus said to his disciples just before he left the earth to join his heavenly father in heaven. Uh, he said in John 16, 12 through 13, here's what he said. He said, I still have many things to say to you. Wow. Jesus had a lot more he wanted to say to his disciples. He didn't get it all out in three years with his disciples. He said, I got a lot for, to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. In other words, it was too much. I think that's what God does to us sometimes. He's like, I got it all planned out. I got a purpose. I'm not going to tell you everything because it would <laughs> international sign for your mind to be blown. You, do, you wouldn't be able to handle it. He said, you cannot bear it now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you. Everybody say guide you. He will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. There are things to come that God wants to say to you and to me. Uh, we are a church that believes in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I came to Texas and realized there's a whole bunch of people that believe it's Father, Son, and Holy Bible. But what I will tell you is the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Jesus sent him. His assignment is to, is to be God's presence here 
on the earth and to speak what he hears, to speak into our lives. See, here's what, I, here's what I've come to believe. Most of us think that God's voice is like really cruddy Wi-Fi. <laughs> really, God's voice is like really cruddy, crappy Wi-Fi, right? It's intermittent at best and frustrating at worst. Right? Like we just can't get it. And if you don't have good Wi-Fi, you must rely on what? The really ridiculously expensive data plan that costs a lot of money. So you're always frustrated with going through all this trouble. But here's what I believe. The Holy Spirit is like having really great Wi-Fi everywhere. You have really great Wi-Fi everywhere you go. He's like an, a, a really awesome unlimited data plan that Jesus has already paid for. That's pretty, that was good. Jesus already paid for the data plan. You don't have to worry about it. He's everywhere that you are. It doesn't cost you a thing. God wants to speak to you. And here's the deal. If you have really good Wi-Fi, what do you get? You get you, you got everything. You got Netflix. You got uh, Apple TV. You got Google. You got um, all kinds of, you got FaceTime, easy, the answer to practically anything you want to know, right? If you hear God's voice, this is why God's voice is so important. If you hear God's voice, if you're able to hear him, if you understand the frequency he's speaking on, you will have access to everything you need to know. Everything that you need. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you believe God wants to speak to you? Do you believe he wants to? Now, there's a subtle little hint in there. Do you believe he wants to speak to you or do you kind of believe he has to? Do you think you're mostly in trouble with God? Or do you think he wants to talk to you? Do you think he likes talking to you? See, the answer to this question is really fundamental. If you believe that God wants to speak to you, here's what I want to ask you, why? Why does he want to speak to you? Why not? Why, why wouldn't he want to speak to you? Because before I can start talking about how to hear God's voice, which is what everybody wants to know, how does this work? It's absolutely imperative that you and I settle this really important truth, why God wants to speak to you why he wants to communicate with you at all. I think we get this wrong. Look at Jesus' words in John 15, 15. It's in your message notes if you want to follow along. John 15, 15 says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, I no longer call you servants. He's making a contrast here because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned, everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus, he calls us friends, but the, the nature of being a friend is to share, to talk about everything to talk about everything that, that you need to know that he knows. This word made known means spoken. When Jesus said, everything I've learned, I've made known. I've spoken it to you. Everything Jesus learned from his father, he was speaking to them. In fact, the word friend, if you, if you look at the, in the original Greek language, is the word philos. 
philos, which means someone dearly loved, prized in a personal, intimate way, a trusted confidant, held dear in a close bond of personal affection. See, this is the type of relationship that God wants to have with you. And some, I, I'm convinced that some of you, many of you, have trouble believing that this is the kind of relationship that he wants to have with you. Whether you're hung up on your past, whether you, you have a, a poor image of, of this father figure who is, is God, whatever, whatever is your hang up, you, you struggle to believe that he actually wants to hang out with you. And I think what we want to say today is we want to settle the reason. Too often I think we interact with God uh, like a stranger intera interacts with some famous person, like a movie star. Right? I, I, we, have, we have movie stars in our city, right? M Matthew McConaughey, you know, rides around uh, Town Lake without a shirt on. And, um, and people kind of leave him alone. But there, I, I, I noticed this. Um, Kyle Chandler lives somewhere here towards Dripping. Kyle Chandler is like Friday Night Lights coach. Do you remember that guy? He's a, like, you know, super good-looking movie star type guy. And I, I, I heard this from my wife, who heard it from other ladies on her Facebook friends. Um, you know, it's like Kyle Chandler sightings. You know, he's at a coffee shop. He's trying to get so, so good looking. Do you know he's a volunteer firefighter? He's a movie star. And they have sightings and they'll take their little pictures and they'll say, oh my gosh, I love that movie you're in. Can I have your autograph, please? So excited to see him. So excited to interact. So excited to get him to write something down. Sometimes I think this is how we are with God. Like we're like, oh God, you're so awesome. I, I, I read a little bit of your book. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was pretty good. You know, it was, it was awesome. I mean, this is amazing stuff. This is in incredible. Um, but that's all you really know about him. Are these ladies friends with Kyle Chandler? No. God wants more than just a casual interaction with him. He wants, he doesn't just want you to be impressed with him. He wants a friendship. He wants you to be close. And, and I, I, think, I think as we look at it, if you think of yourself as a person who is in the hospital and you're really facing something difficult and a person, one of your buddies comes and has written a book and drops it off at the front desk and they send it up to you and then leaves. That kind of friend versus the kind of friend who comes and sits with you every day and talks you through it and walks you through it. Which friend do you want? Not just somebody who wrote something to you one time. You want a person who's gonna be with you. So here's three ideas I want you to consider when you think about God's voice. When you think about why he's speaking to you. Number one, God does not speak mechanically. 
God does not speak mechanically. Now, you and I, we're all speaking mechanically every single day. We communicate mechanically. If we communicate mechanically, it's things like, uh, if I want my car to go forward, I push my foot on the pe gas pedal and it moves forward. If I want words to appear on a computer screen, I, I press the letters on the keyboard and I'm communicating mechanically. I, I, it's everywhere. I, I can communicate wherever I am and, I, and, and it's really, in many ways, becoming the preferred um, way to communicate in our culture. I'd rather communicate mechanically. I'd rather post my rant on Facebook. I'd rather text somebody and break up with them rather than face them. People, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't break up by text. It's, it's a... It's a thing. We, 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 we use technology, and I, I, my, my team, my leadership team here at One Chapel makes fun of me all the time because there's this thing that happens with technology. I don't know if you're this kind of person, but y whenever you touch the technology, it doesn't work. You guys, any, anybody like that? It's actually a condition. Like, you can, you can research it on the internet, and my, my team thinks I have the disease. <laughs> Like, they'll tell me how to do it. I'll, like, do exactly what they say, and it doesn't work. Um, and, and I'm like, they're saying, well, what? I told you to do this, and this. I, I did that. Here, just, and then they'll take it. They'll do it, and it works perfectly. <laughs> I think it's my uh, energy. Power of God right here. It's just, it's... God does not want to communicate to you and I by text. He does not want to communicate to you and I mechanically. In other words, God is not just inputting data into your life to get a desired result. We think that he's just inputting data. That, he, that he's, some, he's, he's up there in the cloud somewhere <laughs> downloading data into our lives. And that's really all he's concerned about. If you see God like that, it's only a matter of time until you won't understand how his voice works. God doesn't see us as robots, he sees us as friends. Unfortunately, for so many of us, the only time we look to God to speak is what? What do you want God to say most often? You want his direction. God, tell me which way to go. And I say, unfortunately, because I think there's so much more he wants to tell us. There's so many more things he wants to talk about because he wants to be our friend. So often we, we're trying to hear God's voice for direction, but we have a selfish motive we want to hear him to get where we think we need to be. Or we feel that we need to hear God's voice as this device to traverse life's challenges. And, and listen, please understand, we do need to hear his voice for direction. It's just so limited. Don't limit him to direction. Direction is not why he speaks to us. But we have a sort of utilitarian view for God ourselves. We often just want to use him to get where we want to go. And sometimes we project onto him this idea that he's just trying to get us to where he wants us to go. And I, I have you ever, I don't know if, I grew up in church and I've prayed this prayer a lot. Oh God, please use me. You ever prayed that prayer? Please use me. I, I'm not sure this prayer is doing us the, 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 I think it's doing us a disservice because it doesn't include everything in this relationship. 
In fact, I think we might need to stop using this sort of impersonal, objectifying type of language about God altogether. I mean, I'm not going to get hung up on it if you say, oh, I just want God to use me. I'm not going to say, hey, hey, hey. No, it's, it's fine. It's a fine prayer to pray. All right, God, use me. But I think it's incomplete. And I think it's inaccurate. I think it gives us the wrong idea about how God works with us. I don't believe God is interested in us just to use us. Hum See, humans use others. Humans misuse and abuse people, but we can't project this onto God. God never uses us as an inanimate object. You see, hidden in this little paradigm of God using us is a subtle yet damaging concept, a filter or a worldview about God, that he's only interested in his vast universal strategic plans without regard for who you are or how you're wired or what you're facing. I don't, and I don't think it's accurate. Instead, I want to suggest to you that there's something else, right? That he collaborates with us as partners. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, for we are co-workers in God's service. Co-workers. Yes, he's working with us together. Here's, here's, here's I've got good news for you today. <laughs> you are not a tool. <laughs> Here, give me that. Can you give me that? Yeah, Barry, give it to me. You are not a tool. See, so many of you, you think you're tools. You, you like, you like, yeah, here, here, here's me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I put things together. I take things apart. That's what I do. God uses me. I don't know that that's complete. I'm not sure I want you to be a drill. Some of you, you're like, <laughs> some of you, you think you're a hammer in God's hands. Or a baby hammer, as it were. But here's the problem with being a hammer. You see everything as a nail. Every problem is a nail. So <laughs> that's a problem. You can't be a hammer. Some of you, some of you are like a tape measure. You're like, I make things, I make sure things are perfect. I make everything right. That's what I do. Nope. Right there. Yes. Per no. Wait, wait. No. A little more, okay, a little, okay, that's perfect. No, if you get stuck on perfectionism, you'll be in trouble because only one is perfect. And then finally, some of you are like this vice grip. You just want to grab onto stuff and never let go. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but it's always painful. Listen, you're not a tool. You're not a tool. You should write it down in your notes so you'll remember it. Now, you're, you know what you are instead of a tool? You're a collaborator. You're a partner. You're a co-worker. You're not a tool. Now, so, here, here's, here's what I think. I think this is so good. We don't have relationships with tools. Or we shouldn't. Some men do. Some men really love their tools too much. It's wrong. It's idolatry. They need to give it up. But you are not a tool in God's hands. You're so much more. He wants to partner with you. He wants you to join him in the work that he's already doing. I think we're, we're not created just to do things for God. We're created to do things with God, with him. Look what Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says. says I'm going to read it out of the Message Bible, which is a modern-day uh, paraphrase. It says, saving is all his idea and all his work. 
all we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It is God's gift from start to finish. We don't play a major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we, we neither make nor save ourselves. That's a pretty cool idea. God does both the making and the saving. But then notice this. Notice the end. So he settles it. God does the making and the saving. But then he creates each of us by Christ Jesus. When we let Jesus in, he creates something in us to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do. Work we had better be doing. This is one of the amazing truths of the scriptures. That God actually wants to work with us, but not just to get stuff done. He wants to work with us on the basis of friendship. On the basis of his purpose. And some of you had a hard time figuring that out. I think God gave us a perfect story right at the beginning of the scriptures about how this works. You see it in the first few chapters of Genesis, God invites Adam to name all the animals. You remember this story? He invites God to name all the animals. I think he had purpose in doing it. Part of the purpose would be to see that, that no, none of these animals would create a suitable companion or a person to work alongside of. But I think there's something else that was deeper there. He, so so uh, God goes to Adam and says, you I want you to name, I want you to look at them all, I want you to name them all. Do you think God could have named all the animals? Yeah, and he could have come up with better names too. I mean, Adam was doing pretty good at the beginning, like aardvark, right, double A, that's pretty cool, aardvark. <laughs> Hippopotamus, mm, good name, fun word to know and say. Hippopotamus, this is, this is a cool word, leopard. It just rolls off the tongue. Leopard. But Adam got tired, and finally it was blue bird. <laughs> Red bird. God could have done a better job than that, but listen, God didn't need to. He wanted to include Adam in his work. Because if you've ever worked with someone, that's where you really start to get to know them. You work, there's, there's stuff comes out. You work on a project with somebody, you start to really understand who they are. And so when you work with someone, this is what God was inviting Adam to do. He was inviting him to see all that he'd been working on in creation. He invited him to partner with him on the work of creation because he wanted a relationship with Adam, because he was in a relationship with Adam. And so that brings me to point two. Number two, God doesn't just speak mechanically, but he speaks personally. He does not speak mechanically, but he does speak personally. God gives us this amazing record in the scriptures of his interaction with humanity from Adam and Eve all the way through Abraham in the Old Testament, all the way through the disciples and Cornelius and Pilate's wife and all the way to the end in the New Testament. One of the amazing things you'll see as you read these stories is you will be amazed at the links that God is willing to go to speak to people. Just a few ideas. God wrote on a wall with a giant hand to Daniel. God sent dreams and visions to Joseph and many others. He gave him dreams and visions. He, he used a burning bush to speak to Moses. It's interesting. God never used another burning bush. That was special. That was personal to Moses. Gideon asked for a wet sheepskin. Ugh. Balaam 
Balaam was talked to by a donkey. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. If God can use a donkey, he can use me. Only I use a different word there. <laughs> angels. Angels through the scriptures, they, they appear to people. They appear to people. The shepherds, Mary and Joseph, countless others. Look at the, the personal nature of God speaking to people. If you go through Hebrews 11, which is the great hall of faith, the great chapter of faith in, in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, you will see listed all these people, Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Gideon and all of these people. And, and it's so interesting as you read through it, the whole point of the chapter is about faith because they were all wondering if God had spoken to them. Think about Moses. A burning bush is speaking to you and telling you what to do, and you're arguing with it. You're like, you're like no, I, I'm not really the guy. I'm not sure you really know how this works, uh, God. Right, over and over again, Abraham said, let, it, let me know if it's you, that it's you who's speaking. Isaac and Jacob wandered all over the place and wondered throughout their journeys where God's voice was. Joshua was unsure and lacked confidence at the walls of Jericho. You know why? You know, this, is, this, is, this is why God kept saying, be strong and courageous. He kept saying it to Joshua over and over again. Why? Joshua had a problem. Are you sure? Is this right? You see, most people think that God, his voice is this big, booming, obvious thing. And if, if it's a big, booming, obvious thing, then why would you ever need faith? So this is why so many people are like, I just want God to speak loud, like really loud and clear. Listen, if that was true, you wouldn't, you wouldn't need faith. And if, if through the scriptures, God used big, boom, booming, loud voices to speak to his people, they would have obeyed by fear. Right? In fact, one of the times when he did speak with a booming, crazy, loud thunder and lightning at the Mount, uh, Mount Sinai, his people shrunk back. Got so fearful. God has something different in mind for our friendship. God's interaction when he spoke to Elijah gives us a perfect illustration. First Kings 19, 11 through 12, it says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. Here's the point. The people of the Bible heard God's voice the same way you and I do, by faith. By faith. But here's the thing. You have to have faith that he loves you deeply. You have to have faith, not just in Christ's saving power, to rescue you from sin, you have to believe that he wants to speak to you and wants to include you. That his motive is pure and good. Exodus 33, 11, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. James 2, 23 says the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God. He believed him and it was accounted him for righteousness that he was called the friend of God. This is what God wants to do. He wants to speak to you personally. And that leads me to my final point. Number three, God speaks to friends. He speaks to friends. 
He could have created robots, but he didn't. He gave you and I a choice. We could choose him or not choose him. God wants to restore the way he spoke to Adam and Eve. Look at Genesis 3, 8 through 10. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God said to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. <laughs> the next verse is so awesome, one of my favorites in the Bible. It, God says, who told you you were naked? Does that sound like a friend or what? Or, or a parent with a child. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a thing here. God is seeking them. This is a routine. They're talking. They're walking in the garden. This is something that was routine for them. And they hid from God because they were ashamed. Their disobedience started messing this thing up. They had this amazing friendship. And they rejected God's way and started to selfishly rule their own lives with their own will. And from that point on, God began to put together an amazing rescue plan to restore our ability to walk and talk with God again. To walk and talk with God again in the coolness of the day. If we go all the way back to John 15, look at verse 13. John 15, 13, right before the verse we just read earlier, it says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is what Jesus did. This is what he's all about. This is why he gave his life. This is, what, so you, this is why you can have friendship with God because Jesus was the bridge. He was pulling us closer to the Father. He was pulling us closer to himself. You and I were separated by death, separated by sinfulness, and Jesus took it all on himself. He laid down his life for you and for me. In fact, Jesus doesn't just call people his friends who are doing exactly what they say. You can see in some unique places, one of them is in Matthew 26. I won't take time to read it now, but it's the story where Judas comes with all of the guards and they're gonna take Jesus. They're gonna take him from the Garden of Gethsemane. They're about to take him and he's gonna go to the cross. But he, he, he goes to Judas and Judas comes up to him and Judas, the signal for the guards is this is the guy I'm gonna kiss when I kiss him on the cheek. Signifying a relationship. He's trying to point him out and Jesus, you know what he says to Judas? He says, friend, friend, what are you doing? Even in our failures, Jesus calls out to us, friend. And I've been walking with the Lord for about 43 years now. I'm so old. But here's what I would tell you. I'm so incredibly thankful for what God's done in my life. But the moments that I remember the most are not what he's done. I remember the moments where he spoke to me. I remember the moments where he spoke into my life in a powerful way. And this is what God does. Psalm 25, 14 says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who revere him or fear him or respect him. And he makes, his, makes known his, to them his covenant. This word for friendship is secret counsel. He wants to share things that are still to be discovered. Psalm 25, 14, God friendship is for God worshipers. They are the one he confides in. God wants to tell you secrets. You ever been in a room full of people 
And you and the person across the room know a secret that nobody else knows and everybody, everything, else, everything else everybody else is saying is like, they don't have a clue. And you're catching the person's eye across from the room to you and you're like, You know that feeling like, oh, we know. This is the way God wants to treat you all your life. He's got something powerful. I remember the first time I was open to coming to Austin to plant a church. It was in 2009. And it was very, I think it might have been the end of 2008. And I'd been praying about what the next step was. And I remember it was right here in New Braunfels. We were down here for a, a Amy's birthday and we were, and we were uh, just sitting by the Kamal River, and we were sitting there in a couple of lawn chairs, and we just kind of a, a, a leisurely time of talking and d discussing what does God want to do with our lives? Where does he want to take us? How, do, how does he want to use us? How does he want to work with us? <laughs> how does he want to work with us? in the rest of our lives, the second half of our lives, and I remember it was this moment talking to my wife, and I remember like the door of my heart being open to trusting that God was speaking to me to come to Austin. And it was, just thinking of it now is emotional because he didn't say words, right, to me. I wish he would say more words. I, I too wish for the booming voice. But he speaks something into your life and you think, okay, I think he's saying we should do this, and I want to do it. I always say, God, let us come to Austin. I was scared to death, but I think he let us come because I love this city, and I love what God is doing here, and he let us come, and it was like the first time, and from that point on, we were relatively sure <laughs> that this is where we were headed. The final time where I just you know, we were coming to the end. You got to make the announcement. You got to tell. I was at a church, uh, and I would. I was going to have to tell people where we were going. I had people praying for us. We came during the summer with some other folks. Uh, I think uh, Spira and Jennifer Stavros were there, and we went to the Capitol and we sat on the front lawn and we just prayed for a while. It was a beautiful, beautiful summer day. I think it was in June, and it was just so awesome. And of course, I'm thinking, do I want to come here? Yes, but I was still scared. So I said, God, show us what you want to do. Tell us. And it was like in that moment, he said, I want to add your voice to my voice in this city. That's what he said. I want to add your voice to my voice in this city. And, and then we were, we were ready. Now, many times along the way, I've had to stumble and fall. I've had to like, oh, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? I can't figure this out. And how, does, how should this work? I know you think as the pastor, I have it all figured out. I do not. No one does. They have to depend on God. They have to depend on this for their friendship with him. I remember I was trying to figure out what the next move was for one chapel. It was 2015. We were five years old, coming up on our five-year anniversary. I was wrestling. God, what are you, how do you want to work with one chapel? What is, what is next? Show us. Reveal it to me. I think I know. And I remember him saying this. This is so weird. I actually did hear this in, in kind of word form. And he said, he said, what do you want it to look like in 10 years? I said, I don't know. What do you want it to look like in 10 years? 
And this is so interesting. You know what he said to me? He said, no, I'm working with you. That's really weird. What do you want it to look like in 10 years? It occurred to me that God can do anything. Choosing anything is fine. I mean, we kind of think he has all this stuff. No, he's wanting to work with us. The way we're wired. The way He has purposes. And sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we screw up the plan. And then he's got a greater purpose that supersedes all the plans. And then, and then he makes new plans to make it fit and make it work. He's like, what do you want it to look like? And I said, thought to myself, and I was like, okay, I think it should probably look like 10 communities 10 churches collaborating, strategizing for the gospel to be rooted in every community in this city and in this region. And he didn't say anything, but I felt him smile. I felt him say, that's a good dream. When God speaks to you, you'll remember it. But you have to remember that he's for you. And he's not just trying to get you to do stuff. He wants to work with you. He wants to be for you and show you all that he has. His purpose in your family. His purpose for you in your career. Yes, your career. Regardless of how you think, how worthy it is you think of God's purpose. He wants to work with you. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to bow your head. The final question on your message notes is, do you believe God wants to confide in you? Does he want to confide in you? Does he, does, he want to, does he want to speak to you the secret things? Yes, he does. If you believe this, you're going to listen for his voice. If you believe that this is how God works, you're going to open your ears. If you believe this is why, you won't be stuck, fearful. You'll be open. You'll be listening. We're going to come to the Lord's table right here. And I want you to see the Lord's table as a table of provision. It represents the work of Christ. The bread is his body that was broken for you and for me. The cup is the, is the blood, represents the blood that Jesus spilled for the forgiveness of our sins. This is a table of provision. This is a table where you get to receive from him. See, this is his nature. He wants to give to you. And I believe it is here at this table that you can change your paradigm about why God speaks to you. You can change the paradigm you have in your soul. Some of you are ashamed. Some of you are troubled by your own past and your own history. Some of you think that God's just mad at you all the time because you don't measure up. Listen, Jesus came to wipe that away. Jesus came to change the paradigm. Jesus came to change the way it works. His disciples had this same trouble too. They wanted to be his servants. But Jesus said, you're not just servants, you're friends. I want to welcome you into the relationship. And that's why I want to speak to you. That's how I want to speak to you. So come to this table. Let him speak to you. Let him wipe away your sins. Father, we...